Don't you just love it when our children do our scripture for us? Isn't that beautiful? That was her first time. She did a really good job. Today we're going to talk about a Jesus who did, said some crazy things. Over the last year, I have been looking at some of the things that Jesus has said and some of the things that he asked. And he said some crazy things. A few of these, Matthew 9, 12, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. That's an interesting thought. Mark 5, 30, who touched my clothes? Can you imagine Jesus having the crowd push against him and somebody touched his clothes? Wouldn't you think that that would be something that would have happened? And he said, who touched my clothes? And then John 13, 12, I love this one. Do you know what I have done to you? Not for you, to you. And today we're going to spend our time in Luke 22:15 with desire I have desired to eat with you before I die. Now, what's interesting about scripture, it is in order for it to really sink in to make a difference, we need to spend some time with it. So today, as we go through the service, we're going to talk about the scripture, the key words of the scripture, understanding what those words mean, and then apply it to our life. So I'm wondering if you could read this with me in the King James Version, Luke 22:15. Just read from with me. Here we go. And he said unto them, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So what are some words that stand out? Talk to me a little bit. What key concepts or words stand out as you read this? Desire. Desire. How many times is the word desire or a derivative is, is mentioned? Twice. What other words pop out? Say again. Suffer. Ooh, suffer. Okay, so let's kind of dive into this. Okay, so some of the key concepts. I think the one that stands out to me at the beginning is did he say this to a really large group? He said it to his disciples, and he said it directly to them. He spoke directly to his disciples. They were with him in the upper room, and he wanted them there. Normally, the Passover was observed with family, but this was a special Passover. This was the last Passover Jesus was to observe, and he wanted to be with his disciples, and he spoke this directly to, the, to them. And what's interesting is this word desire is used twice. He had a desire. That was a noun. It was something he had. This is a podium. It's a noun. He had a desire. And then there's the verb, to desire, to eat. Two verbs put back to back. So desire was used as a noun, and it was used as a verb. We'll get into that in a little bit, in case you maybe have forgotten a little bit of your English class, but that we'll get into that so you don't have to worry about it. And then the Passover. What was the Passover? It was a ceremonial meal. It was something special, a ritual, a rite that the Jewish people interfaced with. And then it was with his closest friends. And before he journeyed to the cross, 
he wanted to be with his people. And as Ron Hensel likes to say, he, I love my peeps. Jesus loved his peeps. He wanted to be with his people. And he knew what he was doing. In just a matter of hours, the whole journey to the cross was going to begin. And he was paying the penalty for sin. And he paid this penalty to suffer, not only for the disciples, but for you and me and the rest of the world. With desire, I have desired. Now, in the King James Version, it says, with desire, I have desired. In the New American Standard, it says, earnestly desired. In the Amplified, it says, earnestly wanted. In the NIV, it says, eagerly desired. And in the message, it says, I have looked forward to. Interesting, but when you go to the Greek, it is actually with desire and have desired. It's the same noun form and the same verb for the same word, desire. Now, what does this desire mean? When have you used the word desire? What's interesting is this word desire is a very strong word. And it could mean two ends of the spectrum. It can mean desire, as in lust. Or it can mean desire is a profound feeling. And if you go look at the word desire, it says that it's a strong feeling of wanting to have something. It is a wish, it is a want. In the past tense, it's desired. It can even mean to long for and to yearn for and to be desperate for. Now what's interesting is when it's used together, the two, okay, good, you can see it. When it's used together with desire, I have desired, it actually is a Hebrew phrase. It's an expression to communicate a very strong feeling and a desperate desire for something. So there is a, an author out there who did some study on this, and this is what he wrote. The master yearned, if we may so speak, for a last Passover with his friends, as we yearn for a last communion with ours. Have you ever been in a situation where you know someone was going away, or you knew someone was going to die, and you wanted to have that last family celebration together, a last goodbye? It's a meaningful experience. He had a yearning. So why did Jesus have this yearning, this longing? Because he knew it was his farewell. He knew he was going to die. He wanted to be with them, to leave them something. So why the longing? I think we've lost communication here. 
There we go. Oops. All right. So there is a message. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 22. This is where you're going to find this scripture. I desire to eat this last supper with you. If you look in Luke 22 and you start reading the first one to ten verses, you'll start seeing that there's something being prepared. There's a story of what's going on and the upper room is being prepared. The basins are there, the water is there, the food is there. Jesus is about to fulfill his saving power of God. God sent him on a mission, and he was in the process of fulfilling that. The significance of that Passover is that this was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Passover rituals. And that there was going to be a turning point with Jesus coming Jesus was going to take care of what the Passover originally had been doing with the sacrificial lambs. We see Jesus at the table sitting with his closest friends. And who is at the table? His disciples, the betrayer, the deniers. We have James and John fighting about who's going to be first. And even there, Jesus is expressing his emotions, his intense emotions to share this custom, and he talks about his death. They didn't quite understand what was going to be happening. They didn't hear really and know what it meant for him to die. So what is the meaning of him dying? Before I die, he wanted to celebrate this Passover he wanted to prepare his disciples for his suffering and he wanted to leave them something. He wanted to be around his closest friends. He wanted to prepare himself for his suffering. He was human and he was God. And he knew what he was going to go through and he knew what it was going to be hard. And he wanted to give also a sample of what we need to be doing as we go through our lives over and over again to remember what Jesus has done for us. We are to go through the foot washing. We are to go through the communion. And I think the thing that has drawn me to this scripture is that even as a little girl, when it was time for communion and the ordinance of humility, where did I want to be? I didn't want to be at church. I was afraid of what this service and this communion and these rituals meant. I wanted to not participate. I didn't want to have to remember who I really was and what this service was about and what Jesus had done for me. So my question this morning is, what do we do with a Jesus who desires to be with us. What do we do with a Jesus who desires to be with us? So what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to turn to somebody, and I'd like you us to think about it. Why is it important for us to know what to do with Jesus who desires to be with us? 
Turn to somebody, and this is the question. When you know you're going to say goodbye to someone, and that someone is saying goodbye to you, and you don't know when you'll see them again, what emotions would be normal to feel? What emotions would be normal to feel? Turn to someone and talk to them right now. All right, talk to me. What are some normal emotions? You're leaving, they're leaving. Yes. Depression. Depression. You don't know if you're going to see him again. You're depressed. Yes. Anxious. We're anxious. We, it makes, it's unnerving, isn't it? What's another one? Tears. It's sad. But I have a question for you. This is a trick question. Does it depend on how you feel toward them in return. What if they're all into you, but you're not into them? Have we ever felt that before? Have we ever had that happen? So if you share the same feelings, what are some of the words? Sadness, heartache, grief, tears, anxiousness, depression. But what if we don't share the same feelings? What do you think? You think that's accurate? Awkward, a polite farewell, go on as life as usual. Is it a little awkward sometimes when you've said goodbye to somebody or you said goodbye to them and they actually had more emotions than you did? That's kind of weird. So Jesus is having all this desire, but what's going on at the table with Jesus? Are they having the same feelings you're right, Jasmine, they're not. They're totally not on board with what Jesus is feeling. So, why is it worth our time to know what to do with a Jesus who has strong emotions toward us? I'm going to put up two questions and they're going to make you uncomfortable. I'll just warn you. Should we find out why he does... And should we know if and why we don't have the same feelings in return? Ooh. Should we know why we don't have the same feelings in return? Should we know why he does? So back in the upper room. Back in the upper room. What's going on in the upper room? This is a quote from Desire of Ages. And just so you know, if you read part of Luke and some of John and the, the Gospels, What's going on in the upper room is the Passover had been set. And Peter is actually lounging on Jesus' shoulder. The Bible says he's actually reclining on his breast, this, his chest area. And something weird is going on. Normally, there's a servant in the room. The water's been set, the basin's been set, the towels are there. What's going on in the upper room is the disciples do not want to be lowered to a servant level to do the job because there is nobody there to do it. What else is going on in the upper room is that James and John are vying for first place and Judas is bent on taking that role. 
Judas had already met twice with the authorities to betray Jesus. Do you know for how much? 30 pieces of silver. Have you ever calculated how much 30 pieces of silver was? In that day, it was worth five weeks of pay. So in this day and age, it would be worth around $3,000-ish. Have you ever taken a cruise vacation with a family of two, three, or four? How much is a cruise vacation? About $3,000. Judas planned to betray Jesus for the price of a cruise. What else is going on in the upper room is that Peter, wanting to be number one, is not knowing it will in a few hours deny Jesus three times. Have you ever had a friend deny the fact that they were your friend in public? Have you ever felt betrayed by somebody? What's going on in the upper room is that Jesus knows this is happening and he stands up he takes off his robe, he puts on the apron, and he starts to wash all of their feet. Even the betrayer, even those vying for first place, and even the one who will deny him. What kind of love did Peter have for Jesus? I think this is fascinating because... Peter, in another scripture, in John 21, 15 to 18, there's a little story. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, John 15, 21 to 15, excuse me, John 21, 15 to 18. And what is going on in this scripture is telling a little bit about where Peter was at in his love for him. Because I've always wondered, how could somebody so close to Jesus actually deny him? In the New American Standard, I'm just reading bits and pieces of it. So when they had finished breakfast, this is another time, Simon Peter, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, I know. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. If you go a little bit deeper in scripture, the word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses for love is agape. The word that Peter responds with is philo. Philo, a different kind of love. Then he says it again. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, Simon Peter, do you love me? Jesus says, do you love me, agape love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love, I philo love you. And then a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Philo love me. Jesus was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you Philo love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know these things. You know I Philo love you. Now what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with where Peter was at with Jesus. So let's look at this kind of love that Jesus had. Peter had a love for Jesus that was philo love. 
Jesus had a love for Peter that was agape love. What is agape love? Agape is not empathy, friendship, or romantic love. Philo or philia is friendship or affectionate love. It is a regard between equals. And it is a dispassionate, virtuous love. Now, a virtuous love is something really good, but it's dispassionate. It is important, but it's not as deep as agape. So, agape is not empathy, friendship, or romantic. So, eros love is romantic love. Storage love is empathy or family love. Agape is unconditional love. Agape is selfless, forgives, it lasts day in and day out, it originates from God for everyone, and it is the kind of love that God wants us to have for each other. So what kind of love does Jesus have and the Father have? If you are in John 13, verse 1, the Father agape loves those in the world. Jesus agape loved Peter. This is the point here. Peter in the upper room was going to deny his friend. Jesus agape loved him. Peter Philo loved him. Jesus agape loves his disciples. His disciples are to agape love each other. And we will be known by our agape love. What kind of love was between Peter and Jesus? Peter friendship loved Jesus. Jesus God loved Peter. What kind of love is between you and Jesus? That's the question today. Jesus agape loves you and me, but the question is, do we either philo love or agape love Jesus? With desire, I have desired. This is an important point for us to realize, to pull these agape love and desire points together. When Jesus expressed his deepest desire to be with his disciples, the desire emotion that he had was coming from agape, agape love for his disciples and you and me. So what do we do with a Jesus who desires you? What do you do with a Jesus who desires you? So let's look at Jesus. We can't answer that question unless we know who Jesus is. Jesus was the Son of God. We know that in Scripture. Jesus followed a plan and the will of his Father. He brought good news. He paid the penalty of sin. He defeated death by dying. He solved the problem of separation. And he loved with an agape love of God. What do I do with a Jesus? Who desires to be with me. So I wanted to find out. I wanted to know why he desired me. And I wanted to know why I didn't have the same feelings for him. So, all of my life, born, bred, and raised, raised a Seventh-day Adventist. A, third or, or a fourth or fifth generation Adventist, I, I lose count, gone to all the Adventist schools multiple times, 
and I realized that I was kind of living a mediocre Christian life. And you know what's fascinating? I'm doing some research on this topic right now. It's pretty much the condition of all humankind. We believe in a God. We know that there's things that he does for us. We're good enough to make sure that we get the benefits of being with Jesus. And we have this mediocre Christian experience. I had a lot of confidence in myself. And, but then I realized I reached a point in my life I didn't understand why I was so lonely. I didn't understand why I was so depressed. I didn't understand why ending my life would be better than living in the pain that I was living in. And I prayed a simple prayer, and I said, Jesus, can you make me happy again? And I started on a journey. It is a journey. I haven't arrived. I'm in the process right now of learning about Jesus' love. For the last year, I have been looking at everything that Jesus said himself and everything that he asked. And I'm spending time with the little phrases to go deeper to find out what it really means for me. I'm trying to figure out why did Jesus have to die and why did he die for me? I'm having scripture inform my thoughts. I'm limiting right now in my journey what other people say. I just want to hear what Jesus says. And I realized that I have been trying to be God. I have been believing that I wasn't loved. But if I read scripture, I know that I am. I'm starting to take God at his word. And these are some of the things that I've learned over the last year. Some of the things that Jesus says. Can you read them with me? Starting with number one. Ready? Fear not. Follow me. Listen and understand. Listen and be blessed. Live abundantly. Believe. This is what Jesus says to do. He says, you have an abundant life. Live it. He says to believe him, so believe him. So what does Jesus' love sound like? These are some of the things that scripture says. Read it with me. Eat with me. Don't be afraid. Open the door. Be free. I am with you always. So what I have learned to know over the last several months is that the king of the universe loves and wants me. Do you know that the king of the universe loves and wants you? I have learned to know that he has a strong desire to be with me. He has a strong desire for me to be with him. He wants it to be reciprocal, not just one way. He wants me to share in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Can you imagine just for a moment what that would feel like if we actually believed it? I have been going through some very strong emotions as I have realized the desire that Jesus has had for me. I have relief. Can any of you benefit from wanting that belief, that relief? I have had true sorry 
so, so, excuse me, I have had true sorrow for the real true self that is there. I am not as good as I think that I am, only by Jesus. I have realized my need for him. I have a gratitude that's beyond words that is growing and I am having a desire to be with him. And I am excited because when I actually start seeing what Jesus wants me to do as a result of the love that he has for me, I actually have a mission and a purpose and I take my eyes off myself and I start doing something for him. So this is interesting. What are the implications if we actually believe in the desire that Jesus has for us and we actually start feeling it in return? What are the implications? Does anybody want this? We can live free. How much of your day is spent carrying around the burdens of all the memories that have, you think have screwed up your life? All of the hurt, all of the pain. We can be free of that. No more fear, no more regret, no more hopelessness. We can live loved. Do you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and feel loved? Do you know what it's like to walk into the kitchen and feel loved? To drive down a Southern California freeway and to feel loved? to show up at work and interact with your coworkers and to feel loved and to share love. Can you imagine that? We don't have to desperately try to get the attention of somebody else anymore. What are the implications? We can choose between going it alone or having Jesus do it with us. To be with us, for us, and to experience his desire. So. This is another implication, though. Remember, the setting of this story is in the upper room right before his, or his uh, crucifixion. When we can experience his desire for us and his love for us, we actually enter into his death. It's scriptural. And when we enter into his death, we die to self. We die to ourselves, and we let him live through us. And we enter into his resurrection at the same time. We don't have to live every day having a dead-end life. We have a life with purpose, and he is there reigning in it. And we're given a task. When Jesus says, do you love me? Jesus, Peter responded, I do. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. That is the mission. That is the purpose. That is the good news of Jesus that he has lived he has died, and he is alive and resurrected, and we can share that everywhere we go. So during these last few years, I have fallen in love with Jesus. It was in March of 2006. It was at the end of my change in career to become a radiographer. I had finally decided I cannot do this anymore. I was on a precipice of just stepping off and leaving God, and he called me back. I don't know how it happened. I don't know. I don't think I heard anything, but I do know I experienced a miracle and I fell in love with him and I sold out to him. Have I faltered? Do we all falter? Absolutely. But here's what we need to do to make this practical. 
We need to inform our thoughts with scripture. We cannot be running rogue on our own, coming up with things, listening to other humans. We need to inform our thoughts with scripture. What does the word of God say? We need to trust and obey, and we need to insert our name in scripture and apply it. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you were here for our renewal weekend, Pastor Clarence Schilt shared with us a phrase that when we use scripture and claim it, we need to start with the phrase, Lord, I choose to believe you when you say, and then you put your name in scripture. So we'll start at the top, and you'll say it with me, and we'll go all the way through. But when you see my name, you put your name there. Okay? Does that make sense? So we'll start at the top with Lord. Ready? Let's go together. Here we go. Lord, I choose to believe you when you say, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Again, Lord, I choose to believe you when you say, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. So what God has told me to do is to get a new picture of him. I needed to change the way I thought about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I needed to spend time in his word, and I needed to resist into engaging in anything negative. What God told me to do is to stop thinking that everything revolves around me. It does not revolve around me. I needed to stop a mediocre spiritual performance. I needed to get involved, get committed with the family of God. Dr. Terry Swinson has a book that is quite interesting. He explains the cross in a way that has gripped my soul. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take your right or left hand, your dominant hand, and put it up like this. Do you know what a picture of a cross looks like? There's the pole in the middle, right? Now you take the other hand, and then you do this. This is a cross. This is our relationship with Jesus. This is our relationship with each other. What's in the middle? The crossroads there. That's where it all comes together. It is interwoven in our heart. Now, if you can't imagine, when you see a picture of Jesus on the cross, what is lying in that crossroads? His heart. His heart. He has a heart for us. And he wants us to have a heart for him and a heart for each other. Terry Swinson says this, Jesus points out that if we really want to be his disciples and follow him, then we need to be willing to do whatever it takes, learn and unlearn whatever is needed. This means that we need to view things in a brand new way with an openness to adjust our personal paradigms accordingly. Together, Lord, I choose to believe you when you say you can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you can receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. Again, 
Lord, I choose to believe you when you say, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. We need to start looking at Jesus in a new way. He is passionate about you. So, what does Jesus, Jesus' desire say to us? Let's read these three together. He wants us, he loves us, he saves us. How do you feel about that? Are you okay with that? So now that we know what Jesus feels for us, here's the question. Do you believe it? Do you want it? Do you desire to return the same thing to him? With desire, do you desire to sit at the Passover table? In the Desire of Ages, it says this, He who beholds the Savior's matchless love will be elevated in thought, purified in heart, transformed in character. He will go forth to be a light to the world, to reflect in some degree this mysterious love. The more we contemplate the cross of Christ, the more fully shall we adopt the language of the apostle when he said, from Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So what does that mean? When we really grasp the love of Jesus, the desire that he had, the world will let go of its grip on us and we will let go of our grip on the world. Do you desire to sit at the table with Jesus? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, we thank you. We believe you when you say that with desire, you have desired to eat this Passover with us. Lord, you have died, but you have resurrected, and you are alive, and you are in us. So, Lord, we claim this day by day. Forgive us when we have really believed the world and ourselves that we are God's. We're not. You are. So thank you, Lord, for being our God, our Savior, and our friend. Today, Lord, we take a step of faith to sit at the table with you and to give you permission to work your love in our lives and in our hearts. This is our prayer. Amen. I'd like to invite the praise team up as we sing our